could you all sing a, a hymn with me and, and fake it if you don't know the words? That is to say, don't get aggravated if you don't know it. Just close your eyes and listen to the words and meditate about it, you know, if you, if you don't know it. Because I just kind of pulled this one up at the last minute. It, um, we go through seasons when it seems like there's a, there's, there's a time when just about everybody you talk to has a burden something, you know, going on in their life. And it seems kind of that this is one of those seasons. Just about everybody I talk to has got something going on in their life that's big and distracting and troublesome and worrisome and so forth. And um, as I was thinking about that over the last few minutes, um, this hymn came to mind. So if you know it, sing it with me. And if you don't know it, Just listen to the words as we sing it together. What a day that will be When my Jesus I shall see And I look upon His face The One who saved me by His grace When He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. There is coming a day when no heartaches shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye, all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon His face The one who saved me by His grace. When He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there, and forever I will be with the One who died for me. What a day, glorious day, that will be. 
What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be i'd like for us just to go ahead and pray for our needs before we study the word tonight usually we save that to last we have um uh Several things we need to pray about tonight, and and I think it would be good if we'd go ahead and do that. As I look back, I could almost go to every person and share um, a major need in their lives based on what you have told me. So I know we have needs tonight, Um, and some of them are very critical needs. And so the Bible tells us, to cast our care on Him, right? The Bible says to come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find help in time of need, right? Amen. Amen. So tonight, I I want us to do that. Um, I'm not going to um, share all the needs myself. Um, I am going to share a couple of them. Um, Roy is here tonight. And on uh, on Friday at 3.15, he will be having a surgery um, to remove, is it a kidney? Uh, a cancerous kidney uh, being removed. And um, I'd like for you to remember Roy uh, tonight as we pray, but especially on Friday as well. Uh, we have others here sitting in this room tonight who are also dealing with a a um, um, a question of is it cancer? What is it? That type of thing. And so, several of you are going through that, and we want to remember uh, those needs as well. Also, uh, Nelda's mother is um, um, probably only has a few days uh, from the way it looks. Um, she's very sick has been for years now, but it looks like that uh, she's beginning to, it's really taking a toll on her body. So uh, if you would remember, her name is Clarine. Uh, she's been a Christian her basically her whole life and pastor's wife and prayer warrior, name it. You know, just keep on going. It's that kind of person. Uh, so remember that. And uh, I noticed that uh, Tony comes in tonight with a cane, and he has some severe back pain. And I know he uh, he needs he's still a busy man, teaching school and got places to go and people to see and things to do. And um, he needs a touch from the Lord because he can't keep going like he is now, doing those doing those things. So, uh, anybody else who who wants to share your need? Yeah, uh, Rackley, Daniel Rackley passed away today. Ashley? Um, personal, um, and my grandfather's wife, to Anne Marie Petit, 
Let's, let's remember Izzy, precious little girl. Yeah, I might cry. Sorry. Um, going through, through a lot of personal things that have taken a very big toll on my body. I spent last night in the hospital. Um, thought I was going to die. My blood pressure bottomed. My heart rate, my breathing. Um, I have to face some things in the morning that I don't want to face. Amen. Could we, right where we're seated, could we just bow our heads and, and really pray? Really pray. Not That doesn't mean loud necessarily. It doesn't mean long. But it just means take it seriously. Lord, we are thankful tonight for this opportunity to come before you in prayer. And Lord, I, I just confess that as I come tonight, I, I don't come in my merit. I don't come deserving anything. I come as a very, very needy individual. A pastor, Lord, calling upon you for the needs of your people. So Lord, it's not because of who I am that I have confidence when I come to you in prayer, it's because of who you are. You're my heavenly Father. You love me. You have saved me, cleansed me, forgiven me. And then you invite us to come. You invite us to come boldly and believe and ask for things that we need. And so, Lord, tonight we do that. You are an awesome God, a powerful God, a God with whom there is no shortage of ability. So, Lord, we're asking tonight, as humbly as we know how, we're crying out to You, confessing our great need, but at the same time, confessing our faith and our trust in a merciful God and a loving Heavenly Father who loves us. So, Lord, with that foundation in mind, I look to You tonight. And I pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come. And I pray that your will would be done in each of these needs here tonight. Lord, you see the end from the beginning. You know things well. You make no mistakes. That's why I'm so comfortable, Lord, praying as you taught us to. Lord, let your will be done. But please move in these situations if it's your will Lord, to spare the lives of some of these who are lingering near death, then let it be. Spare their lives. Heal their bodies. But if it's their time to go, oh Lord, be gracious to them, I pray. Comfort them and their families and minister to these who need you so desperately. Oh Lord, our needs are varied. Our needs are great. Our needs are many tonight. And I collectively lift them up to you. We agree together in prayer tonight in behalf of these needs. We know you're a God that's able. Oh God, be merciful to us, we pray. We do need you tonight. We don't take for granted, Lord, your ability, your power, and the fact that you invite us to come.
So minister to these needs, we pray. What a wonderful and an awesome God you are. We bless your name and we give you glory tonight. Oh God, heal bodies. Minister peace and comfort to the hearts and lives down in the depths of the souls of people who are struggling tonight, who need comfort and strength and help. Oh Lord, tomorrow for those who are facing things, oh Lord, be with them. Wrap your arms of love around them and help them to feel your presence and know that you're there. And then on Friday, the same thing, when others are facing things, crucial things in their lives, be with them, we pray as well. Thank you, Lord, that you never leave us and you never forsake us. I know with every fiber of my being that you hear our prayers tonight. And I want to thank you for it. Blessed be your name. Have your way in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Speak to our hearts tonight in your word, we pray. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. We had, I thought, a wonderful prayer time Sunday before the service began and then again afterwards. Some of you will remember that we prayed for a, a family, young family, who has uh, a child here in our daycare and the mother has been diagnosed with cancer. She was pregnant. They took the baby on Monday, um, two months early. And that little baby, four pounds, is doing fine, and the mother's doing fine. Still has to face whatever, you know, who knows. But that's, um, I'm, I'm just astounded at a baby two months premature under those circumstances is just doing well. Uh, weighed four pounds when she was born, and uh, saw pictures of her. Not as big as a toothpick, Harley. Didn't look like, but uh, what a precious... I'm going to tell you, God answers prayer. And so, we're, we're you, you know what we're going to do? We're going to keep praying. Amen. God's awesome. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians, please. Colossians, and we're going to um, study some things here that are very important in the New Testament book. I'll hasten along as our our time is uh, slipping tonight. Uh, Colossians is another of the prison epistles, which means what? Somebody tell me. Pardon me? Written while Paul was in prison. Ephesians was that way. Uh, Philippians is that way. Colossians is that way. And so we... We're looking at um, a situation where Paul, in prison, is writing to um, the church at Colossae, and the people who live there are known as the Colossians. He's writing a letter to them. Now, in, um, in the book of Colossians, beginning at verse 7 of chapter 1, um, the Bible says, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. 
Now, the reason I share that with you is because Epaphras is an important figure in this book of the Bible. If I were to ask us to to give a description of who Epaphras was, um, most of us would probably be lost. Quite honestly, before preparing for this, I wouldn't have known how to connect Epaphras to this particular book of the Bible. But just to give an illustration of how important he is in the New Testament and in this book, we've just read his name in chapter 1, verse 7. We're going to read his name again in chapter 4, verse 12 and verse 13 of Colossians, where Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. So we can see that Paul, the apostle, and Epaphras here have at least two or three things in common. Can you share what they are? Look at verse 12. They were both bond servants of Christ, which is to say they were both in prison. Both of them had been had been incarcerated for preaching the gospel. Paul was in prison now, and then Paul says, Epaphras, who was one of you from Colossians, but he's now a bondservant of Christ, he greets you. He greets him because Paul says that because he's with Paul. So he's a prisoner as well, and he is always laboring fervently for you in prayer. He loved these people. Um, you may recall from the book of Corinthians... First uh, Corinthians, there is a passage of Scripture where Paul said this to the Corinthians. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. What's he saying there to the Corinthians? Though you have maybe thousands of teachers, thousands of instructors, you don't have many fathers. He was saying to them, I have a relationship with you. I led you to the Lord. I nurtured you. I'm your spiritual father. You don't have many fathers in the faith. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, that's what I am to you. Paul can't say that, however, to the, the Colossians, because Paul has never met these people. Isn't that interesting? And he says, as we begin in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, you people at Colossae, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, he had heard about it, and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you this day you heard, or since the day you heard, and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. So Paul was the spiritual father of the saints in Corinth. 
and other places. But who would be the spiritual father of these people in Colossae? Epaphras would be. Exactly. He's a minister. He won these people to the Lord. He prays fervently for them because he cares about them. And he's also a bondservant. So they have a lot in common. Paul is mentioning his name there. Um, incidentally, in Philemon verse 23, uh, he's also mentioned there where the Bible says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. So we see these same, same things being said as we go through this. I thought that was interesting. Although Paul doesn't know these people, he loves them because they're part of the body. They're part of the family of God. And he has some things that he has heard and some things he wants to share with them. And this first section of Colossians, as you've noticed on the board there, is, is basically a section of doctrine. It's theology. It's, it's some, some very important stuff we need to understand. The first part of Colossians is doctrinal. The second part, as we'll get to in a few moments, is more practical. So let's notice the things that we read here about doctrine and the book of Colossians. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, after reading through these scriptures and studying in the book of Colossians, I, it gives new meaning to me, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We speak about Jesus so nonchalantly. It, I, I believe if we could study who Jesus is and really began to comprehend what the Bible says about him, I believe it would change our lives. Jesus wouldn't just be a babe in a manger, and he wouldn't just be someone who died on the cross. When we really understood what the Bible says about who he is, it would transform the way we think, probably the way we pray. I know it would transform how we live if we understood more about Jesus. So what's Paul going to teach us about Jesus um, in this particular passage, chapter one, verse fifteen. Let's look at this at this language here. Well, I'm going to begin reading at verse nine, then we'll get to fifteen, okay? Because all of this is really deep, good stuff. Verse nine, chapter one, verse nine. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Let me ask you just, just this question. It's a personal question. It's just between me and you, okay? Not anybody else, just me and you. How many of you would like to be filled with the knowledge of His will? Think about that. How many times in our lives do we question, is this the will of God? Should I do this? Should I do that? Things about the future we wonder about. But the Bible says he, he's being prayed, these people are being prayed for that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. How many of you, you believe you really can fully please the Lord? Paul said we could. Didn't he? Fully please the Lord. He pray. Why would he? Why would he pray that we could fully please the Lord if we could never do that? That wouldn't make sense, would it? Fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, 
and increasing in the knowledge of God. He's praying for them now. He says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. For all patience and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be for partakers of the inheritance and the saints of light. He has, listen to this, this is a great verse. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood and forgiveness of sins. Could everybody just say grace? It's not because we earned it. It's not because we deserved it. It's because of the grace of God. And we have been delivered from the power of darkness. So that's what I said Sunday about your past. Don't worry about your past. Your past is behind you. Look in front of you and where you're going. Because the Bible says he's delivered us from the power of darkness. You're not the person you used to be. And he's conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now let's talk about Jesus for a few minutes. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him, who are we talking about here? For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. These, these are great verses. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, instead of reading all these scriptures separately and tying them to these things, I'm just going to kind of keep reading here. For it pleased the Father that in him, that is in Christ, it pleased the Father that in Christ all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. As I keep reading this, I keep understanding better and better why the Bible says that Jesus is the way. The only way. There's one way. Not several ways. It's Jesus or no way. When it comes to coming to God and pleasing him, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Verse 21, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we're reading, reading all these things here about the glory of Jesus Christ. We're continuing now at verse 24. 
I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Here I'll point out again. Is Paul whining? Is Paul singing gloom and despair and agony on me? He's in prison. He hasn't done anything wrong. As a matter of fact, what he's done is right. He's preached the gospel. He stood up for God. What did it get him? It got him landed in jail and cost him a lot of trouble. There's a lesson in there, folks. When we're struggling in our lives, that doesn't mean we've done something wrong. It may be that the Lord is going to use where we are positioned for Him to do a work in our lives that other people can see. No telling what God can do through you in your story if you'll open the door and let Him do it. Amen? Amen. And so we continue. It pleased the Father. Verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up my flesh that is lacking in the affections of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. To fulfill the word of God. Here's a phrase that we talked about the last couple of weeks in other books of the Bible. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the mystery? It's not a mystery anymore to us because we know, but what is it? As we read there. Yeah, it's the fact that, that you don't have to be Jewish to be a part of God's people. They go, wow, look at this. God is accepting the Gentiles now. They could have never dreamed that. Most of them could never have wrapped their mind around that. In fact, when God called a Jewish prophet named Jonah and said, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites. What did he say? But what did God want to do? He wanted to save them. He wanted to forgive them. Jonah wasn't open to that. He didn't like that idea. He rebelled against it. And then finally when he got willing to go and went and preached to them, then they repented and he said, I knew they would. I knew that's what kind of God you are. I knew if I went and preached to them, they was going to repent. And he, he didn't want them repenting. I mean, read the story. That's exactly what he said. I mean, it's a paraphrase of what he said, but it's exactly what he meant. He didn't like the fact that they repented because the Jews didn't like the Gentiles at all. But this was the plan of God. It was a mystery. People didn't understand it, but God had a design that he was going to put the Jews and the Gentiles all together in one body because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So, I wish we had time to just stop and do nothing for a few minutes but talk about Jesus in these particular areas. Listen, this passage of Scripture teaches us that Jesus is deity, which is another way of saying what? Do you believe He's God? Let me just stop and give you this little story from a page of my life. 
as a, as a young pastor, about the first year I was a pastor, and and 1983, I guess, and I began to. Um, do some teaching and preaching in the church. And, I mean, I thought everybody knew about the deity of Christ. And when I started talking about that, it created an uproar in that church. Because I had one one family in particular, and the family involved several families, but they did not like the idea that I was that I would say that Jesus was divine or that Jesus was God. As long as I said he, that Jesus was God's son, they were cool with that. But then if I started talking about Jesus being deity and Jesus being divine, oh boy, did they get upset. And, and we, had, we, we, we had a lot of problems over that uh, for a good while there. I just assumed everybody understood that Jesus was... I mean, how can you even understand Christmas and not know that Jesus was God? Because His name was Emmanuel, which being interpreted is... I mean, duh. I, but... Yeah, this, this is an important concept that we read here. And as we read through this whole thing, in creation, can you imagine... The Bible says, Paul is saying here, and he's teaching us, he's the firstborn over all creation. He's the head of creation. By him all things, by Jesus, by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and individual, all things. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Let me flip over to Hebrews one twenty-three and read you that scripture about um, about the Lord Jesus. I'm going to tell you, the Bible is full of this stuff about the, the glory of Christ. I think I must have paper clipped my... There it is. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. Somebody tell me who His Son is. So we're in agreement who we're talking about here. He has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds who being the brightness of His glory, Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory, and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, or holding all things together by the word of His power. So what we're reading here is that not only did Jesus create all of creation, but He holds things together now. By the power of His Word, or by the Word of His power, whichever way you want to word it. He holds things together. He is... It's mind-boggling. Absolutely. He holds it all together. One of these days, He's going to take His hands off all of it, and it's going to go absolutely crazy and nuts and be destroyed. That's all he's got to do is just take his hands off and let it happen. 
and there would just be mass chaos and destruction. Incidentally, if you've read your Bible, you, you know that's coming to the earth because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, right? So, but Jesus is holding it all together right now. And then in his providence, he has been given this exalted position by God. Even in the church, verse 18 of, of um, Colossians. Even in the church. He is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Amen? Now, when we read, when we read um, Ephesians and studied Ephesians, we saw that the, what the body is to the head. In other words, in Ephesians, the emphasis was on the body for the most part. The body's made up of different parts and we really need the head, but it was really about the, the body. When you get to Colossians, it's not about the body, it's about the head. The emphasis in Ephesians is on the body, the emphasis in Colossians is on the head. And so, in Ephesians, emphasis is placed upon the church as the body, and in Colossians, it's placed on Christ as its head. In redemption, we saw how that was important. It talked about his blood and all that he does for us there. That's, that's all the work of Jesus there and what he did. And then this mystery that the Bible talks about, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Extremely heavy stuff there that we could spend hours talking about and contemplating. But now let's move to the practical side. In chapter 2, verses 4 through 23, there are several warnings that are given. The, the subject matter is going to be our union with Christ and the results of that union. But there's some warnings here that we would do well to, to uh, take heed of today. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you, with pervasive words. Did you, can you even imagine that there might be someone that would want to deceive you? Really? Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your, of your faith in Christ, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. I'll tell you what, you cannot read verse 6, and even in your wildest dreams envision a lukewarm relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's talking about receiving Jesus and walking in Him and being rooted in Him and built up in Him. That's kind of what we got on the door there, isn't it? Taking root downward, bearing fruit upward. Our lives will just explode if we will really come into relationship with Jesus Christ and learn what that means as we've been taught. And we abound in it. We don't just, just barely make it by. I love the song, Victory in Jesus, which I think I saw has been chosen to sing on Sunday, where it says, He plunged me to victory. What's that give you an image of in your mind? 
It sounds like baptism to me. He plunged me to victory. I've often said, it's not a, it's not a brill cream experience. A little dab will do you. It's a, he, listen, the God of abundance, the, the God who does things right, if we really commit our lives to Him and walk with Him and sell out to Him, we have never seen anything like it. What it would be like to have a church that did that. Do you believe that? It would be absolutely life-changing. It would be community-changing. It would be county-changing to have that kind of relationship. Amen. Isn't it though? I, I've had the same experience just reading this this week. It's been awesome. It's unbelievable. And this is why we study the Word, folks. Because it is strength to our bones and it, it just changes our lives and our... Look at verse 8. We're not going to read verse 8 to put a, a damper on this, but just listen. Beware. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men. According to the basic principles of the Word and not according to Christ. i got to tell you folks, we have to be careful that we don't, we don't listen to deceivers and be influenced by people who are just running their mouth and don't know what they're talking about. And it robs and saps every bit of victory we have. If we quit listening to that stuff, if we'd beware of that and get our minds on the Lord, we could all feel what Leslie's feeling right now. Amen. And that's what, that's what makes it special, folks, when His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Jesus didn't call us to be His children to come sit through dead church services on Sunday. He called us to be able to come in and be excited when we got here and pray when we get started and worship Him and see His power move in our midst. And, and we, we listen to too much junk. We, sometimes we need to tell people to shut their mouth and go somewhere else and talk that mess. Don't talk that mess to me and don't talk that mess here. Right? Yes. When we listen to it, we're, just, we're contributing to the delinquency of a church is what we're doing. And sometimes we have to put our foot down and say, enough is enough. I don't want this junk. I'm not interested in that junk. You can go somewhere else with that stuff. Here we are interested in serving God and pleasing Him. And that's our goal. Amen? Amen? Well, I didn't plan on going all there, but we went. Um, let's go to the, the section that talks about the home. The home is an important place. Paul, he does this in other places as well, but, but he does it very concisely here in Colossians as we begin reading in verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service 
as men pleasers, but in sincerity of the heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Now, as we look at this, we have responsibilities, do we not? The husband or the wives has the responsibility to love and to submit to their husbands. The husbands have a responsibility to, to love their wives, and there's, there's some reciprocating there. Uh, the children have a responsibility to obey their parents. Amen? Now, that's not talked about a whole lot these days. As a matter of fact, I've talked about it recently, and now I've been accused of telling people how to live their lives. But I'm going to tell you what, the Word of God tells us that children are supposed to listen to the parents. Children don't rule the household, folks. A parent is supposed to look at the children and say, this is what you're going to do. Not let the children dictate to the parents, this is what I want to do, and then the parents go do it. Right? And, and all this is is biblical. And if we will learn to do things the biblical way, if wives will submit, if husbands will love, if children will be taught. Can everybody say taught? You know, children have to be taught. Sometimes being taught means learning lessons the hard way. Right? And I had to learn some lessons the hard way. Have you all ever had to learn any lessons the hard way? <laughs> Tony, you're not hard-headed. <laughs> we do have to learn lessons the hard way, don't we? Sometimes we do. But, but those of you who, who have, have had mothers and fathers that knew enough about God's order to make sure that children were raised right, you appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, I know I have kicked Nathan's butt a few times, but you know what? He does. I'm, I'm, I was going to make that point. It wasn't too many years ago before, uh, since Nathan and I were almost enemies, because he just could not tolerate some of the things I was requiring I said we needed to do. And sometimes you come to head with each other, especially, you know, when you get old enough, you think you you know everything, and you can rule the roost, and that's the way it works. Y'all know that's the way it works in a home. That's, that's just the way it is, especially when you got young teenage boys. And so, okay, you go through that, but you have to take a stand. But, but I mean, we all go to Walmart, and we've seen three-year-olds disrupt the whole store, right? <laughs> Yeah, and we have to, we have to, parents, and and in these days it's not popular, you know that. But as a, as a pastor, me, and as a Christian, you, we have a responsibility to recognize what the Bible says about the, the responsibilities as wives and husbands, and that is mothers and fathers. I think it's interesting that Paul talks about the husbands here and their responsibilities, and then he comes down here and he talks about the fathers here and their responsibilities. 
Isn't that interesting? We get doubled up on. Because we have to learn how to walk in wisdom with our wives, but then we have to also learn how to walk in wisdom and do what's right by our children. It's a twofold responsibility there. And Paul makes that makes us aware of that. And then he goes on, he says, well, you know what, even in an employee-employer relationship or in those days it would have been the, the, the slave and the master relationship. Uh, today we have the employer-employee. Isn't it interesting that Paul says here, um, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Oh, it's the previous verse that had what I was wanting to talk about there for a minute. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service. What would that be, not with eye service? You peek over there to see if he's looking. If he's looking, you're going to be working real hard. But if you kind of glance over there and he's turned, walked away, then you, you back off. And we have to, we have to learn to be who we are. And do everything we can to glorify God in everything we do and do it the right way. That's just the Lord wants us to be that way. With our our wives, our husbands, our children, our fathers, and our employer-employee relationships, whatever. We have to learn to, to treat people right. Now, I didn't think I would have time to get into this next thing, but I do. And I'm glad that I do because I, I read... Some information this past week that I want to share with you that I found, well, it's very troubling um, and it's very enlightening. Um, in Colossians 4, verse 3, notice that um, Paul says, um, continue earnestly in prayer, verse 2, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Keep praying. Be, be constant in your prayer life. By the way, verse 3, meanwhile, praying for us also. Don't forget to pray for us in prison, me and Epaphras and the others who are here. Pray for us. Not that God would open us a door so we can get out of here. That's not what he prayed. He said, I want you to pray that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. He is not whining. He is saying, pray for me that I'll have the strength to tell it like it is and to keep preaching the gospel no matter what the consequences. With that in mind, I'm going to suggest to you that we need that kind of spirit today that Paul had. Um, I couldn't believe it when I, when I heard these things. Seventy-seven churches closed last Sunday in the United States. Seventy-seven churches closed last Sunday. And I thought, that don't sound quite right. Maybe that was just a bad Sunday, but it wasn't a bad Sunday. That's the average. Seventy-seven churches in America close every Sunday. 4,000 a year close in America. This statistic was put out by Lifeway. Most of you are familiar with Lifeway. They do research and, 
uh, along with their publishing. Lifeway says 1,700 pastors leave the ministry every month. Think about that. 1,700 pastors leave the ministry every month. The average age of pastors now in the United States is in the 60s. 60 years old or older. The average age of pastors. You don't think America's headed for trouble? America is facing a crisis finding pastors to fill pulpits in churches. I don't know about a, a lot of other churches. I, I know for a fact, I have known for years, that Methodist pastors typically preach at two or three different churches. One Methodist pastor will have two or three congregations, maybe more. And some other churches are the same way. Because they can't find pastors. 193 known countries exist in all the world. 193 known countries in all of these 193 churches, 93 countries, in all of these 193 known countries, in all but 20 of them, churches are growing. Churches are growing in all of those countries except 20. So in 173 countries, churches are on the move and growing. In 20 countries, they're not. America is one of the 20. Churches are on the decline. In this, in this age group right now, 15-year-olds to 35, the, the fancy label for that group is the millennials. From 15 to 35, 87% say that the church and Jesus have no impact in my life. They don't have any interest at all in the church or Jesus. 87% from age 15 to 35. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that lets me know how, if there's ever the time, there should be an alive church in a community. That time's right now. Listen. Please. Amen. Amen. Isn't that the truth? Is that not what we saw right here in the book of Colossians? And this is why we need the Word of God. Listen, what Pastor Ron says isn't worth a nickel, folks. I know that. You know that. I'm not fooling myself. But what the Word of God says, you can take to the bank. And Jesus is Lord. And the Word of God is true. And there is a, um, a spirit that is at work in this world today. But it's not new. 
Same spirit was at work when there were two people in the Garden of Eden. Right? There was a spirit of deception at work there trying to draw people away from God. It's, that same spirit's been at work ever since. But now, the bigger audience now, and the Bible says that the devil knows his time is short. Working overtime. We need to understand that. And we need to be, we need to be spiritually astute enough, smart enough to know that we need to, to be tuned in to the Spirit of the Lord. Don't listen to the voices. Don't listen to deceivers. We have, um, we have a warning. Beware in this book of the Bible that tells us to be very careful about that. Anybody have questions, comments about this study before we dismiss tonight? In good ways. He sure is. Amen. Anybody else? If you would just stand with me and uh, why don't we just take this opportunity to pray for our service on Sunday as we close tonight. The other, the other needs that were shared when we started tonight, please keep those in mind. And um, don't forget about Roy on Friday and, and uh, others. And um, we'll be praying on Sunday morning. I was just so encouraged by prayer Sunday morning. That, that circle up front, man, I tell you, that just, just blessed my heart. So I, I want to thank you for participating in that. And I, I can see that growing and becoming just an um, extremely important part of what we do at this church. Lord, we just pause here to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, for your word, your word is true. Your word is awesome, and we thank you for it. And Lord, we're asking that you would minister, Lord, to this church. We have a desire to be what you've called us to be. We want to find our place in you. We want to be what you've called us to be. We just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be so committed to you. Help us, Lord, to, to uh, set aside some other things out of our life if we need to to make room for the things that need to be in our lives, spending time with you and praying and drawing near to you. Help us to get our, our focus on you, Lord. The most important thing in our lives should be you. Help us to reach that place and live in that place and abide in that place, we pray. And Lord, we do lift up Sunday service to you, and I just pray that you would minister to us, draw us near to you, have your way in our lives. You're such an awesome God. We love you and we appreciate you, Lord. Again, Lord, I lift up every one of these needs that were shared here tonight. All extremely important. Oh, Holy Spirit, bring these needs to our remembrance over the next few days. And prompt us to pray at times when we need, oh Lord, to be able to bear one another's burdens in that way. Help us, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you so much for being here tonight.